went from watching extremely intense playoff baseball that had me actually I screamed during one of the games in the the Matt Chapman both his hits actually well what could have been hits like the point by BNS he made it he went yeah yeah Blue Jays fans you're allowed to play the what if game with two of the Matt Chapman hits but you also then have to do two twins hits damn what thinks about that that smart guy coming up in a few minutes but I went from that to a Leafs preseason game and Thursday night football that involved the Chicago Bears <laughs> and the Washington Commanders. That was I, a real drop off. Yeah, it was. It was tough. It was. It was a tough. Uh, actually, you know what? I gotta say, it wasn't that hard. Yeah, it wasn't hard. It was actually kind of nice. It was kind of nice, and I really, I live bet the Bears yesterday. It was well. It was beautiful. They had, were up a touchdown. And they get the ball, and they're still plus one twenty because nobody believes in the Bears. It's like, let me grab that. Let me just grab a little taste of that. And put it in my pocket and enjoy it for later. So yeah. I actually had a blast with that game because Washington kind of made a fake comeback. But the Leafs, okay? I, I told myself, I'm not a preseason person. I'm just not. I, I'd rather catch up on a lot of the stories through writers. I'll let other people do the work with the preseason. You put in the work. I'll watch the other sports. And then I'll read some articles. And I'll watch some highlights. And I'll take in what the major stories of camp are. And I'll tune in for a little bit here, there, right? A channel change. During some of the Blue Jays games, flip over, watch a little Leafs preseason. But then I get I get pretty sick of it right away. Uh-huh. You know, it's like half of the skaters are dudes that you're never going to hear of probably again in your life. Or they're sort of the failed prospects that you write when, oh, yeah, I forgot. We hyped that guy up. So the start of preseason comes along, and it's a little bit of Fraser Minton buzz. And I'm tuning in, and a couple of the highlights with him and Matty Nyes, they're looking decent. And I'm saying to myself, I like this kid. I, I hope he ends up being something. And then as preseason goes on, it's like yesterday as they dressed basically the full forward group. The question going into the game is, is this guy going to steal a spot? And I went, hold on. These little snippets that I was watching from the preseason, this is materializing into will this guy actually make the team? Holy crap. He's 18. If you remember, he got kind of the Bruno Caboclo treatment when he was drafted by the Leafs. It was, he's two years away from being two years away. Well, really, they just said it was like, he's three years away. But either way, pretty close. Pretty close. He's supposed to be a long-term development play that had a lot of upside as a good two-way center. It's preseason, but I watched that game yesterday, the full game, and all I thought to myself was, I totally get it. I totally get it. He just looks... Comfortable. I love having a mature kid who's clearly chomping at the bit, who you can play with Matthew Nyes. And the Leafs are clearly at a point in their trajectory where you don't care about the 10-day thing anymore. Like, this isn't... The, like, the John Tavares contract is going to come off the books. They're going to have to restructure what this team looks like financially in a couple of seasons anyways. I'm not terrified about restricted free agency 18-year-old anymore. Like, I, I remember all the fretting we did over the Rasmus Sandin contract when they were doing that. Hey, should Sandin crack the 10 games? Blah, 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 blah. I think he's mature. I think he's hungry. He won a lot of draws, granted, against another teenager. And... I'm kind of of the mind that you just let them roll into the season and see what you got because my, my prevailing thought here is what if you have something, but two, what is he really going to benefit from being back playing 16, 17 year old kids in the WHL? Like 
do we really think him being the captain is going to matter all that much? I'm not, I'm not sure. Like it, it feels a little overrated, but I cannot believe that the, the story of Leafs camp is going to be a teenager potentially making the Toronto Maple Leafs. Tommy Stewart, you care? Yeah, well, who's he taking out of the lineup? That's the that's well, the question. The positive, I guess, is it Willie doesn't have to play center, I guess? I don't think. I think yesterday was a pretty clear indicator that Nylander's not playing center, period. So who's he bumping? I think that who he would be bumping is either like a Nick Robertson, where you're just like, eh, you know what, who cares? It's a Nick Robertson type or one of the many depth centers that this team had. It was funny watching yesterday. Who was uh, Pontus Holmberg where they've got him in the game. And I went, this is a guy who last year there were, I don't know, 12, 13 full shows dedicated towards this guy being an actual true star. So I know that the hype train in this market for this team goes completely off the rails. I I just think if you're the Leafs and you're losing a kind of AHL veteran that you can call up at some other point in the season. Take that shot. I, I don't, Nick Robertson hasn't popped the same way as this kid. I would just see what you have, limit his minutes, give him a little bit of a trial run at the NHL level. If you think he's good enough, if they, if the lot of this is them kind of posturing and trying to build up his confidence before they send him down. All right, fine. But to me right now, I, I'm, I'm kind of buying it. I, I think I'm kind of buying it. I, I like having a hungry guy with some fresh eyes, having two dudes in Nyes and Minton who are on your team that are just the young, hungry puppies that want it so bad, bringing kind of that youthful energy into the locker room. I think there might be something to that. So consider me in. Consider me in on Fraser Minton. Consider me in on this iteration of the Toronto Maple Leafs. Consider me out on that iteration of the Toronto Blue Jays. I was, I was in. Now I'm out. Ben Nicholson-Smith. About the letters, and we'll be editor for Sportsnet. What's up, bro? How are we doing? Doing okay, JD. Uh, it's been a weird couple of days. I feel like there's like an adrenaline crash that happens after the end of the season. Mm-hmm. And uh, yeah, it's uh, it, it felt like they had a chance to totally rewrite this thing. And now it's just, nope, to the same old, same old situation. And, and in fact, actually worse than, than what it was a few days worse. ago. No, dude, 100%, 100% worse. Do we know when they're going to do the front office availability yet? Not yet. I would expect Tuesday if I had to guess. Okay, so yeah, it'll be all the way next week, right? Because these things can turn around pretty quick. And a lot of times when it's this, let's just say negative, they usually try to do it in a news dumpy day. So the move for them that would make sense actually is to do it on Wednesday because that's the Leafs season opener. Oh, so then I'm I'm changing my prediction to Wednesday. Yeah, that, that actually would be a pretty good idea. Yeah, that's part. the. Oh, actually, no, we got to get all our ducks lined up. It's it's Wednesday. It's uh Wednesday at five o'clock Eastern, so that all the clips when they get turned around, it's the it's time for puck drop with the Leafs. Yeah, good good, good prediction. I, I do want to ask you, um, you know, what you want to ask later, but. I want to read it. I'm going to start this today with a quote from one of your, uh, you did really good work. Good, good job by you. Like, you know, I'm a fan, you know, I like your stuff, but your couple pieces, you and shy pumped out some really good content over the last couple of days. So quote, this is well, from BNS. This is from BNS's piece quote. It happened during the regular season when they ranked 26th out of 30 MLB teams in outs made on the bases and 29th out of 30 teams in stolen base efficiency. It happened in game one of the wildcard series when Bichette's over-aggressive base running cost the Blue Jays, and it happened in game two with Guerrero, end quote. Um, how much of the base running problems, the maturity problems, are you laying at the feet of 
the players versus the management. Because I, I do think that a lot of what maybe we missed in the anger of the Barrios decision was that, yeah, two pivotal moments in the series came down to just kind of egregious mistakes. And and we all debated the Bobachet one. And, you know, some people think that you had to do it. I still believe that I'd rather be playing for the beginning and not have to do it. But, yeah, where where do you where do you put the fault for this? Because I do think that going into this offseason, this has to be one of the major questions that's addressed. Well, yeah, because, you know, we've talked all year about, hey, like the Blue Jays, you know, maybe they have these these good numbers from like a WRC plus standpoint and a quality of contact standpoint, but they're just not scoring runs. How could this be? Well, maybe it's because you are one of the worst base running teams in Major League Baseball. Mm-hmm. And I'm not saying that's the only reason. Obviously, there's some luck involved. But that definitely contributes. And being the second least efficient team in baseball when it comes to stealing bases, not good, not going to help things out. Same when it comes to making needless outs on the bases. We saw that all year. I think year-long, that's something that falls at the hands of the coaching staff and the front office. It's just not good enough. They needed to get in the players' ears and tell Whit Merrifield, look, man, you're not as fast as you think you are. Stop Mm -hmm. running. Um, stop taking these chances and go down the list. So that year long is on the coaches. I think moment to moment, it's on the players. I think in this playoff series, it's a combination of things. But Bo Bichette and Vlad Guerrero Jr. have to take a huge share of the responsibility there because Bo in that situation, in my opinion, down three, you can't be going. You can't take that risk. We all know it was an amazing play by Carlos Correa. It was unbelievable. It's also Carlos Correa. It's also Carlos Correa. That's the thing. It's not a secret. This guy hasn't snuck up on people. So, you know, and same with Vladdy, right? Yeah, sure, it's loud. But look, man, you have to err on the side of caution. The the stakes are too big. And, you know, it's funny because going into this series, I thought Vlad had some wise words saying that he needed to depend on his teammates. And I don't think Bo and Vlad fully did that. But in no way is this series loss entirely on their shoulders. And there are so many other places that we can we can place the blame. Yeah, that's just it. And I've said this, The I was talking about this yesterday, how you kind of blend traumas as a Toronto sports fan, right? Like you're looking and you're, you're doing parallels between some of the sport, the, between some of the teams. But I do think that there is a little bit something to be said here for, you know, my first thought of looking at these free agents that, that could be leaving, right? It's, it's all, it's essentially all the veterans on the team outside of like Springer, right? Like out of, yeah, important, meaningful vets. A lot of them will be leaving this baseball team. And I'm going, this does feel like an inflection point for Vladdy and Bo, much like it was with the Leafs players when they kept surrounding them with, hey, it's Joe Thornton and it's Patrick Marlowe and they're going to help you grow up. And a lot of this baseball team felt a little bit like that too, where it's, hey, it's Chapman, it's Belt, it's, you know, it's Merrifield. These guys are going to be some of the, or Kiermaier, these are going to be some of the leaders in the clubhouse. But ultimately, the two biggest mistakes fall on two members of the core in the day-to-day. And so I think that there's going to be responsibility for them if they're both on the team moving forward, that it's going to be now incumbent upon those two players to be setting the example for the team. But I couldn't help but think back, like, Yeah, John Schneider talked about this all year long and the message didn't get through. And this was also a front office that clearly went into the season with a mandate of having much more maturity within the baseball team. That's part of the reason why they made the trades in the outfield. And then also being so much better on the base paths. I remember even like a lot of the preseason content being about how aggressive this team was going to be on the base paths and how they were going to turn more runs in because they were going to take advantage of the bigger bases, blah, 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 all these things. And I think that as we're kind of searching through and looking for the answer to the question of what needs to change, 
I do, I do wonder when Shapiro evaluates all of this, how much he actually is going to say, you know what? These were two things that were at the desk of Atkins. These were things that were at the desk of Schneider. And these are actually going to play a pivotal, I don't know, role in making a decision over the coming week. Well, yeah, I think that that if you're looking at at how this all unfolded, like that's actually pretty embarrassing if you're the Blue Jays to, you know, setting aside the pitching decision, which I'm sure we'll get to. But, you know, you're trying to do every little thing right. And this is how you show up. Like to make those base running mistakes in that situation, somehow it didn't get through to the players. And so that is on the manager. End of the day, that is also on John Schneider. And you know, there are guys on this team who ran the bases really well, like a Kevin Kiermeyer who was 14 for 15 stealing bases, but he's out of the, he's a free agent. And mm-hmm. it's not like the Blue Jays taught Kevin Kiermeyer how to run the bases either. He arrived here as a fully formed major league center fielder and played amazing all year long. So, mm-hmm. you know, when you look at some of these guys, Kevin Biggio, five for seven, like steadily made good decisions all season long. But there are other guys in this team that from a base running standpoint, um, just were not there. And I think that I, I think that contributes to a team that underwhelmed offensively and more broadly, they need to take a look at their hitting because you know they were an okay offense. They're, they were like they were a really, really bad base running team. Mm-hmm. Offensively, they were okay. They weren't really bad. They weren't really good. They were okay. But you have to aspire to more than okay. And so you have to look. If something's okay, you have to look at it. You have to see if there's a way to make it better. And I just don't think that when you look at the biggest games of the year, yes, it's a small sample, but you also knew exactly who you were going to face. Paolo Lopez and Sonny Gray, you know exactly what they were going to throw, how they were going to approach you, and you come out of there with one run and one extra base hit. That is not good enough. It doesn't Mm -hmm. matter how the Jays arranged their pitching or ran the bases. You score one run, you're going to lose. And yeah, I think the question is going to come down to who should be helping Shapiro decide who those players are. But it's another strange offseason because free agency is not littered with incredible players. And you're losing guys, Belt, Chapman, Green, Ryu, Kiermaier, Hicks, Merrifield. So I actually, maybe we'll start with this. What do you think the over-under is on those guys returning? Because I, I said it at, like, one player. Yeah, I mean, yeah, I think the Blue Jays should try to bring Kevin Kiermaier back because he's a really, really good player. Um, yeah, but how big is the turf thing? Because that just seems to pop up all the time is this guy maybe wasn't too happy playing on turf for an entire season. Well, you know, my understanding before Kiermaier signed with the Blue Jays is that he would have, all things being equal, preferred to play on grass. Mm-hmm. But my understanding in talking to him and talking to, to others is that the number one motivator is Money. trying to win for oh. Kevin Kiermaier. <laughs> No, no, it's trying to win. <laughs> yeah, L- literally. Okay. Um, All right. <laughs> I like where your mind went. Yeah. But yeah, no, I... he, he he's made his money. Like he's made a lot of money. Uh-huh. He wants to win. He, I'm telling you this. Kevin Kiermaier is not signing with the Rockies. He's not signing with the Royals. Sure. He is going to try to win. Hmm. So then maybe it's one and a half then, because I would I would think yeah. that they try to engage Kiermaier, Hicks, and then maybe Green. But that belt retires, Chapman goes out of their price range and that they want to move on. Merrifield is absolutely a zero percenter in my opinion. And then, yeah, same with Ryu. Yeah, yeah. Merrifield, I I would be very surprised if he comes back. Uh, I also think, yeah, belt, you know, it's touch and go as to whether he retires. I don't see Hicks returning. Mm -hmm. Yeah, I don't see him coming back. I just don't think that, I I just never got the sense that that fit fully landed um, for for those two sides. We'll Mm -hmm. see. I could be wrong. Um, but, um, 
yeah, I mean, you need to, the Jays are going to be in the market for a lot this offseason. This team is going to look different in a substantial way by the time they report to spring. So they're going to be in need for a lot. Uh, they don't know. Are you certain that they return the core pieces? And I think, like, I was even thinking to myself, what is the core of this team, right? When we're talking about the position players, because, yeah, the pitching staff is is set, right? That's not going to – that's very unlikely to change. I was kind of pitching the idea of maybe you go out and you flip one of these guys for some assets back and then try to go in a free agency where starting pitching is a little bit deeper. And you've had some success, right? Like you landed Gossman. You landed Kikuchi. You landed Ryu. It, you're a pitcher's park now, so maybe that's appealing to some of these guys. But, yeah, I don't think that ends up happening. So it, it feels like you're going to have to make some trade of consequence, No. I wonder, I wonder, I I think so. Like, first of all, we know that like, this is an emotional time. I even like, I've been veering more emotional with my takes than, than normal. I think probably everyone has, Mm -hmm. um, including people within that front office. So it's probably step one is take a big step back and they're probably not going to make that decision on October 6th or 7th Mm -hmm. or 8th. So, you know, I, I don't, I think that's like the first part of it is they'll say, whoa, we got to slow this down a little bit. What the hell happened? Like, how did this How did this happen? We thought we were a lot better than this. Now, mm-hmm. to me, like with Vladdy, like it's so interesting, right? Because, you know, I see people pointing to him. And of course, like if he had had a better year, the Blue Jays would have been in a different position. But mm-hmm. at the same time, you know, this is a guy who's in his age 24 season. He's He's still showing up every single day he's still trying his best obviously makes mistakes i mean that's there's no doubt he makes mistakes it was an underwhelming season but it's not like he showed up as a 16 year old and said i'm the next miguel cabrera you know so i I think at the same time like vlad jr isn't the problem with this team as they move ahead he has a chance to be really really good Mm. and I, i think he's obviously a core player on this team moving forward doesn't mean that he's going to be the next albert pujols or miguel cabrera but he can still be a really, really good player. Maybe he hits free agency in a couple of years. Maybe that's it. You know, maybe he and Bo both leave. Like, there's tons of turnover coming is the other thing with this team. Mm-hmm. Jansen's one year from free agency. Biggio's two years away. Romano's, like, this whole core. And this is this is the frustrating part of this. Like, they've gone these three seasons now where they've had good teams, zero playoff wins, zero positive experiences in the playoffs, all negativity, and and some of it's of their own creation. A lot of it is, obviously, but at the same time, it's like this whole window is passing them by. It already feels a little bit like it's passed them by, if, if I'm being dead honest. Like the way that I feel about it is I'm not optimistic about the idea that the Bobachet vladimir Guerrero Jr. tandem ever wins or that both of them are definite, like definitely here next year or even if it, both of them that it's 100% the right move to keep them. Like, hey, should you absolutely keep both? I think that there's going to be a case this offseason, depending on what the values are for both players. Here's what I would say. I don't think it's crazy for the front office to evaluate both guys and just say, hey, we're taking calls. Like, let us know what you think. Let us know what you have to offer for these two. But yeah, they're, what, what would you say? Like, yeah, quietly available is the way that I would put it. You know, you're not shopping them. You're not calling teams asking, but you're also not hanging up the phone anymore if you call on either of them. And I think the the tough part about that is, because like there's no harm in that. There's there's no harm in that. But the tough part about that is you just end up at a point where like you're you're talking about Vladdy, a guy who's coming off a down year who mm-hmm. just made that big mistake. Like what are you going to get? He's two so, years away. Yeah. 
He's a first baseman. Like, uh, and like, I just don't think you want to trade him for like three double A starting no, pitching no, no. prospects and a fourth outfielder. You no, know what I mean? That's that's definitely not what you're doing. What I'm saying, if you're you're taking this trade, like I asked David Sampson yesterday, hey, what would the market be like for him? And and he made it, he made it seem like it would still be robust. That there would be a lot of teams that would talk themselves into Vladimir Guerrero Jr. And if you think about Hey, like someone will say that to themselves. They'll go, this is still a name. This is someone that we can put in the middle of our lineup. This is someone who we have two years of control of. Like there's a lot of upside for a team that would be trading for Vladdy. I I think you're doing this trade knowing that you're not getting back necessarily the better player unless it's much more money and or shorter term, right? Like there's, there's always like the Pete Alonzo thing kicking out there. And, And I thought to myself a few times, would I not want to do a trade that centers around Pete Alonso for Vladimir Guerrero Jr. if I don't think Vladdy's going to be here in a couple of seasons? I, I kind of think, yes. I think that that's the kind of move that a year ago you would have told yourself was absolutely insane. And right now I'm sitting with that going, I, I don't know I don't know what the case against that is. Like you're losing potentially a year of Vladdy? I, mm, it seems kind I, of I, fine. Yeah, I think to me, like two years of Vladdy versus one year of Pete Alonso, if the Blue Jays make that trade, that would be a really bad trade, in my opinion, like mm-hmm. for the Jays. I think, and I think like the Mets would do that in a second. I think the Mets would be thrilled. They would be like, because Vlad, you know, you're getting your age 25, 26 seasons of a guy who's already hit 48 bombs in a major league season. And I know this was a down year for him, but like, you know, next mm-hmm. year, what's your like, what's your like kind of, you know, mediocre projection for Vladdy. 30 home runs, 800 OPS, you know, something mm. like he did this year, maybe a little better. Like, that's that's not bad. And this is a guy who, you know, plays with a lot of energy, has a huge amount of upside beyond that floor. Um, and, and there's two years of him. So, mm-hmm. you know, to me, v- Vladdy isn't the problem. Vladdy was the problem with their game two loss or one of the problems with their game two loss. But Vladdy isn't the problem with this team. I, I think Vladdy's a really, really good player you know he needs to he needs to look at himself in the mirror for mm-hmm. sure with those with the base running and the decision making and everything that happened this year and he said that he intends to get better in every possible way but i just i don't think Flatty's the problem with this team here's what i would say is i think it would be a mistake for this front office to look at the offense and say hey bo had a down year which he did like ultimately bo ends up having a, a year that is a little bit below where you expect him to be some good offensive stretches, some, it's kind of a classic bow season, but ultimately you want a little bit more Springer to me is regressing. He's 33 years old. I don't think that that's going to move in a positive direction. I don't think that you should be expecting positive uh, regression. In fact, I would say that you almost got fortuitous this year in terms of the way that he stayed healthy, considering the years before that Vladimir Guerrero jr. Like you how much of an uptick are you expecting on him? Because that's going to be a major question for me if I'm not shopping him at all. If I'm not doing that, I'm thinking to myself, okay, we actually do believe that he's going to return to closer to the major league MVP, right? Then just, oh yeah, he'll be that, that floor projection that we're having here. And then Dalton Varsho, same thing. These guys already made a huge mistake thinking, hey, this guy could end up skyrocketing past his numbers. We think that there's a lot more here offensively because yeah, now to me, the body of work is pretty clear. Like he is what he is offensively. And maybe he, he'll probably hit for power again, just like he did this year. But yeah, that at bat uh, to to close this series, I think was pretty emblematic of yeah, this this guy's going to be overwhelmed by guys with plus plus stuff. He's not yep. going to be able to get knocks against them. He's not going to be a middle of your lineup bat. And so the rest of it comes to okay, well then how what do you think that you can build 
a studly offense around these guys. And I'm looking around and saying, I don't think without removing pieces, I don't think you can do it through free agency. And I certainly don't think that they can be relying upon, you know, Addison Barger or Arelvis Martinez coming up for this team. And all of a sudden being like, that's the missing link to this group. And so that's just it to me. That's why I do feel like it's going to have to be a trade is I don't really see the pathway otherwise. Yeah, I, I actually can see a pathway. I, I think that if they go out into free agency and they're going to have to add multiple players, right? Mm-hmm. Because they don't have a left fielder um, and and they don't have a second baseman necessarily. They don't have a third baseman and they don't have a DH. So there are four spots. Do you think they, they could be looking at catcher too, though, considering Danny Jansen just never stays healthy? I, I think they're okay at catcher. Right. I think they're fine there. Um, but, you know, it's interesting. Like, And just to go back to your outfield point for a second, completely agree on Springer. This is a guy of 34 years old right now. He mm-hmm. just had his worst full season in the major league. Like he was healthy, which good for him, but he had his worst full season in the major leagues. He's 34 years old right now. So three more years in that deal. I'm not saying he's not going to be a good player. He has been a good player with the Blue Jays. I'm not saying otherwise, but he is a good player who is declining. So that's the reality there. And to your Varsho point, Totally agree. You and I can see it. All the pro scouts and attendants can see it. He swings through high fastballs. And that mm-hmm. is a hole in his swing and it's a problem. So, but in any case, like I, I think that the Jays solution here is to add. And so you have to go out, you have to be willing to add two real major league hitters and probably a couple part-time, you know, let's see, minor league deal type, incentive laden, um, you know, free agents as well. And then you bring in the Davis Schneiders, you bring in the Aralvis Martinez's into camp mm. and you see what happens, but you need to add two real major league bats. Mm-hmm. I just, I, again, when I'm looking at the free agency list, it's really not too impressive to me. Like you can bring Teoscar Hernandez back. And he's one of the better ones. That's Taylor what I'm saying. Like, that's, yeah. And yeah. Then, like, I'm, you know, the Jays might end up doing someone who's not quite as splashy as that. <laughs> yeah, that's what I'm saying. Like, I, what if it's Heimer Candelario, you no, know? Like, and uh, I don't yeah. want to, that's what I'm saying. I think that's a mistake is looking at this and saying, hey, we can just get uh, a couple of other bats and we'll be fine. We'll go to free agency and we'll say, hey, we'll, we'll grab a couple of maybes off the pile and surround this core and say, yeah, it'll it'll be all right. We'll have some positive regression plus a couple of maybes that are a little bit more offensive than the the guys that we had last season. And this offense will figure itself out. Like, I, I just think that it needs to be a little bit more drastic than that. There's got to be, to me, if you're going into this offseason and you're this group, and, and you said it, this is emotional time, right? This part of it isn't. This, this group needed a cleanup hitter all year long. Like Dalton yep. Varsho started there. And then all year long, it was, hey, you guys need a cleanup hitter. Hey, this isn't working out. You can shuffle it all you want. You need someone else that's going to be in your top five. And then they went into the deadline and people thought, okay, maybe they'll be able to scratch and claw and grab one of these guys. And by the way, there was a couple of those dudes, like I'm watching Mark Canna have a real impact and saying to myself, he was basically free. You didn't go out and get him. Fine, whatever, who cares? But I'm saying more than that. Like, I I think that this team is going to need a stud to basically inspire some more confidence within this group moving forward. And I don't see that in free agency. And so that's the thing to me is like, I I don't, I don't see who that bat is in free agency unless you basically throw a Hail Mary and connect it. Yeah, it's tough, right? Like you, do you get Reese Hoskins coming back from a torn ACL? Um, Do you get like a Josh Bell? Um, No, not Josh Bell. (laughs) No, God, Uh, no, you know, Jock Peterson seems like a very blue Uh, chase. This is what I'm saying. This is the maybe pile. These are, this is the maybes. Like it just, uh, that's so much maybe. Yeah. And, and I think like 
the Jays are going to be shopping in that aisle of the free agent market. Like, mm. there's no question about it. They will. It's a question of of how they hit on those. And and look, they've been really, really good at finding pitchers, right? Like, mm-hmm. you, we could have said the same thing last year about Chris Bassett. Oh, you know, Chris Bassett, what difference is he going to make? He's a back-end starter, whatever. They go out and get him. He's amazing all season long. You know, didn't see him in the playoffs, but, um, you know, that's another story. Um, and, you know, this is... This is a front office that's really nailed their pitching, but mm. they've not created a good offense. And so I think, too, it's got to go beyond just the front office decision making on the free agent front. Like it mm. also has to extend to what is happening internally with their systems, their processes on the hitting side. Is it good mm. enough? Is Guillermo Martinez a good enough hitting coach? Mm. Is Dave Hudgens a good enough hitting coach? These are real questions, right? Like, and, and I'm not saying I know the answer. I'm not trying to hint at this in like this opaque way. I'm not, I'm not trying to say that I think they should be fired in this oblique way. Mm-hmm. I just think like, look at it because I don't know. It doesn't seem to be working great. At best, it's working like okay. And if your conclusion is, yeah, it's okay, fine. But maybe there's a way to do something better here. I agree. And uh, to me, it would be <laughs> you. You don't need to sit opaque. I, I don't think you can bring back those coaches. Period. Uh, like that's just after this season, you you got to have some turnover there. But again, if we're talking about what I think would be a mistake, it's simply going into next year being like, hey, we got new hitting coaches. I'm like, I'd like to see the history of baseball. I'd like to see the history of offenses where it was like they brought in a hitting coach and then just all of a sudden everyone looked amazing. It's kind of like, again, to do cross-sport trauma, how when you change the power play coach, and they're like, they brought in this power play guy and now he's gonna be com- that's going to be completely different. They're moving one guy to his offhand and you're like, all right, <laughs> that's... That seems like something, I guess. I, I don't, no offense to hitting coaches. When the Guillermo Martinez story started to get bigger, I started to ask some players, hey, how much does this matter? And the response I got back pretty much universally was minimally. Yeah. Yeah. I, I mean, I think that's fair. I think that's fair. Now, if even if the impact is minimal and there's an impact to be had, you take it. So that's where you and I both yep. land on like, hey, you got to be you open do it, to it. But, but I, I'm saying yeah. like, if you go into next year and you're like, then you know what? Then trot the hitting coach out first on opening day, home opener day. Like when it's the flag <laughs> before the flag comes out, put the hitting coach in, like in the center, put him on the mound and have him throw yeah. the first pitch and be like, hey, everyone, we know you're paying your hard earned dollars. This is the guy. <laughs> this is it's this the is players. the new face of the franchise. Yeah, it's on the players. And like, look, we're talking about Vladdy a lot, and like, that's fair. Um, you know, he is mm-hmm. a, a guy who's reached really high heights. But at the same time, you know, George Springer could have, I don't know, hit a two-run bomb at some point in this series. I think he's That'd got nice. a few singles um, mm-hmm. as a as a in the Blue Jays playoffs. I, th- I think he he's got maybe four singles, and that's not nothing. That's better than some players have done. But, um, you know, there was, a, there was a chance for George Springer, the highest paid player in Blue yeah. Jays history, to have a signature moment. And I'm not putting it all on George Springer either, but, like, look, Vlad Jr.'s 24 years old, and it's not, again, it's not like he said he's the second coming of Miguel Cabrera. George Springer signed for 150 million big ones, mm-hmm. and I think the Jays are still waiting for that signature moment. Yeah, I think that's fair. I do. Of course that's fair. They gambled on him being the stud around these guys and him being Mr. Playoffs. And yeah, he hasn't been that for this team. So basically what you're saying is get a hitting coach in a trash can. 
<laughs> hey, it worked for it worked yeah, for Houston. It's worked, worked for Springer before. It's like hitting coach, trash can, World Series. Let's go. This is what I'm saying. Even though about the the maybe pile with the old guys is there's there's two factors here. One is yeah, you're grabbing again, likely someone that's in the decline of their career or someone who yeah is a little longer in the tooth. We'll see. I mean, Candelero, I think is only 29. He's the guy you mentioned, so that's not exactly the same thing. But also, yeah, not exactly the biggest, sexiest name. Maybe it works out, but yeah, I I just, I think that what you need now is a sure thing in the middle of your lineup. You need someone that you're saying, yep, no, we're not guessing that this is going to be 30 home runs. We're promising that this is going to be 30 home runs because yeah, I don't think that you're going to get that power from Springer. I'm not sure anymore. You're going to get that power from Vladdy. And yeah, I don't see where the other guarantees are in the lineup. And I certainly don't see them coming up anyways. So like, that's that one to me. And and just to jump in real quick there. Mm -hmm. So I think to some extent, the big guys in the lineup probably already have to be there. Like George, Vladdy, Bo. Um, mm-hmm. And when I'm looking at the best offenses in baseball, sometimes it's the guys that come out of nowhere. Like the mm-hmm. Texas Rangers, they have an elite offense. But mm-hmm. going into this year, was anyone like Robbie Grossman, Ezekiel Duran, Leody Tavares, Nathaniel Lowe, and Jonah Heim are studs? Mitch Garver? like would, uh, would Jonah Heim, yes. Maybe, yeah. you know, but like really it comes yeah. down to Garcia, Seager, and Semyon and yeah. adding amazing depth around that. So there's nothing wrong with adding depth guys. Like yes. as long as your big guys show up, there's nothing wrong with adding depth guys. Yeah, I agree. I just don't think that any of the Blue Jays uh, now are like the Corey Seager track record. And yeah, I don't know. Yeah, I, I think that if you were talking about like, hey, which three guys would you rather have right now? If you needed to win a series, I, I think that answer is pretty clear. Like, by far. not the Blue Jays guys, right? Like, it's like, yeah, if you give me those three Rangers guys and swap them out for the three Blue Jays guys, then yes, I think you construct the team that way. But otherwise, I'm like, oh, you might need a little bit more if you're working with a group that is a bit lesser. All right. So that brings us to kind of, yeah, I just, I, this, I guess to close this out, it's like everybody's said it, everybody knows it. But yeah, one extra base hit and one run in 18 innings of playoff baseball. I, I, you can tell me that's a small sample size all you want. To me, that's a death knell for saying you can run back this offense and have it just be, you know, some depth players around the edges here. Um, the question is who gets to make these moves? Cause again, referencing the Samson. So two days ago, I talked to Morosi yesterday. I talked to Samson. Both of those guys indicated pretty strongly to me that they, they don't see a front office shakeup of any kind. They don't even see a managerial shakeup of any time. Do you think that, that has moved in any way in the last 48 hours or the last 24 hours? I don't think so. Yeah. I really don't. I, I think that John Schneider is safe. I think that Ross Atkins is safe. I think they're both coming back. Hmm. Hmm. And that's like, that That has been my impression throughout this entire, you know, we talk about emotions, right? The entire turbulent time of September, losing four to Texas, winning against Boston, having the chance to clinch against Tampa, going like, my impression the entire time from talking to people in the organization has been that, yeah, the Blue Jays value having some sort of structural and internal stability from year to year. They do not value making impulsive decisions. That's Mark Shapiro on down. And I don't think that Ross Atkins is going to lose his job. I don't think that John Schneider is going to lose his job. Mm. And, and And like, you know, again, this is, we're in the emotions of it right now. Um, mm. We're in the emotions of it still right now. So I, I, I don't, you know, I, I think that there are a lot, I'm sure there are a lot of fans that would love to see 
John Schneider fired and would love to see Ross Atkins fired. I know, I know that's true. Um, I don't see it happening uh, this year. What I will say is, all right, so you're going to go into next season and you're going to say we're bringing back all the, the brass. We are more than likely not going to trade a member of the core. And you're going to try to go around the edges with some free agent signings and bringing up some of your minor leaguers to replace some of the vets that you've lost this year. I, I think you will have a strong, strong, strong carryover of the sentiment that the fan base has right now to the following season. And I would say that is a pretty damn big risk for the Toronto Blue Jays to take the fan base lightly like that, to just say, don't worry, they'll all show up. Everyone will still be at the stadium having a grand old time and that things won't turn sour quickly. I think they will. I think you start to have, you know, a bad month. Again, cross-sport trauma, the Leafs thing. They were lucky to turn it around. If you remember last year, and I don't know if you do, but they started the year ice cold. They went on the road on the West Coast and they got thumped by bad teams. Like they had embarrassing performances about against bad teams. And what ended up happening? The fan base was apoplectic. And they, they righted the ship and they calmed it all down. And it was all right from that kind of point throughout the season. But baseball is a different animal. There's nothing else to kind of distract you. It's just there. It's standalone. And yeah, we know how much they're going to covet gate revenue, TV ratings, all of these different things. I, I think this fan base needs a something. Like, I really do. Yeah. I think that this fan base yeah. needs more than Candelario and a new hitting coach. And yeah. I, it would be a gross, gross, gross mistake if they decided that they could kind of, like, get away with this with the same front office. Like, I, I do think that there's, there's got to be one major change. And you don't see it where it's the pitching staff. And we're talking about how it might not come with the bats and we're not going to come with the front office. It's not going to come with the manager. Boy, oh, boy, oh, boy. That's a scary proposition for this group. So I actually think you make a great point there, and I haven't actually allowed myself to think far enough ahead, but I think you're actually so right that next year, if they kind of run it back and make some changes and make some additions, next year, if they get off to a slow start, mm-hmm. fans would be mad. And it's it's because this season, we all have like a reserve of patience for for a team or for for anything. And I think this season, the Blue Jays kind of spent whatever credibility or patience they have with their fans, I think they spent a lot of it. Um, And so, you know, I I think it's probably in short supply after losing, you know, four consecutive playoff. Well, really, it's seven consecutive playoff games. But in the last two years, they're 0-4 in the playoffs. That is going to take a toll on a fan base. And so let me ask you this, J.D., as someone Mm -hmm. who's, you know, I, I know you're you're a journalist as well, but you're also no, like a fan. I'm not. I'm a, just, I'm a fan. <laughs> We're right. That's we very nice. Said, but when people tweet that at me, they're like, you're supposed to be a journalist. I was like, I, you know, when you said the thing about Vladdy, where he's like, he never promised he was giving me Miguel Cabrera. I'm telling you right now, I am not a journalist, period. Like this okay, is good. I did not. I went to a sports journalism school and I guess I retained nothing. I have no uh, standard. Uh, there's nothing here. That's just, this is a fan with a microphone. Tom Verducci, he is not, folks. Um, okay, no. so um, so in in that in that case, then tell me this: like, uh-huh. what would you want to hear from? Because because this is going to happen in the next week or so. Yeah. What would you want to hear from the Blue Jays when it comes to tone, when it comes to accountability? You know, so did you see Jerry Depoto? Oh my! I mean, that's a whole other the podcast, opposite. But yeah, I saw that. Yeah. So yeah. Th- the opposite. I, I I'm on record with this. I'm going to. I think that. 
it would go a long way for the fan base. And I think it would go a long way for this team to fire Atkins. And then I would let the new general manager come in with Shapiro and decide whether or not Schneider should go. I don't think that Schneider had a great year. Um, I know that it wasn't solely his fault for making that decision with Barrios, but I think that sometimes a traumatic thing happens with the fan base and that this playoff loss, the way that it went down with, again, one extra base hit and a scarring Toronto moment that you cannot just say, hey, we trusted the math and we came up with a formula and we stand in our conviction and, you know, fly in the face of everyone that's so angry with you right now. I think the yep. way that I would do it, if I, if like, if it was Mark, and I know that he's a loyal guy and they, we always play the thing of like, they're the smart, cool, calm, collected group that always run it over. I actually do believe in continuity. I think it's extremely important in sports, but yeah, this is year seven. And I think if I was Shapiro, I would be going, I, I need a new voice in the room to take fresh eye, look at this baseball team to see what it is that we're missing. After six playoff losses, after invoking the same strategy multiple times with our analytics group and this, you know, projection model that we've done here with our starting pitchers, we, we need a different voice to at least say, what, what do we have here? What are our convictions that we strongly believe in, but what could someone else say with fresh eyes? I would remove yeah. the general manager and I would bring in someone new. And even if that's an internal person, right? Because everyone always brings up the Houston Astros guy, how he's like, I always forget his name, but the... James Click. That's yeah. it, right, Click. I, even if it's him, I don't care. You're saying this is a winner and this is someone we're elevating within the organization. Like it just, it can be surface value. Like you have to do something optically to tell people that it's going to be a bit of a different process here moving forward. So I think that would be the tone for me is like, there has to be accountability somewhere for this. There has to be accountability for seven seasons where you haven't won a playoff game. Like, I I'm sorry. 2016 was now a long ass time ago and that wasn't their baseball team. Like, they haven't won a division. They were third, Ben. Like, they were third in the division this year. That seems to be yeah. the point that everyone keeps missing in all of this. Is like, they made the playoffs. They made the wild cards. Like, you're allowed to win the division. They were supposed to win the division. They were supposed to have a bye this week. We were all supposed to be waiting for the ALDS. That's what everyone told us when they were projecting this thing. If you go well under projections, which is frankly what this team has been, where do you lay accountability? And so that to me is what I would be doing with the messaging is that there is going to be accountability here. We hear you. We understand this is an entertainment product, that there is a true frustration up top with the, what the results have been and not playing it down to, well, we feel as though a Chapman hit could have gone a certain way and that was some like slight upticks from our guys. We had some regression, some bad luck, some bad bounces and a good team. Like that, that messaging is not going to fly. It has to be a message of accountability from up top. It does. It does. Yeah. And I think um, just, so there's a lot there. And I think yeah, that's sorry, what I, I ranted because you were like, what do you no, want? No. And I was like, what? <laughs> <laughs> yeah, no, it's, I like it. I, I, I asked because I wanted to hear it. Uh -huh. um, but yeah, I think, um, you know, when it comes to the, your point about the division, mm -hmm. that is so true. Like, yeah. Guys, there's a way to not be bounced in the wild card round every year. Mm -hmm. Like, uh, you know, there there actually is a way around this. You just you just get that first round by. You don't have to worry about the randomness of a mm -hmm. two game series. So I'll I'll tell you this. Like for me, what I would say if um if if I was in there, like I think someone needs to own up. They made a mistake. They had the best intentions mm -hmm. with that move, the Barrios move. They wanted to win. Obviously, they wanted to win the game. They thought it was going to, but they messed up. And I think mm. someone needs to say that and instead of just saying, because the alternative is to say, we believe in our process. It didn't work. It didn't work. We're doubling down. We're tripling mm -hmm. down. 
we believe it was the right thing um, and it just didn't work. Mm -hmm. I think someone actually needs to say, we messed up. Our process had a flaw. We thought it was going to work. We thought we had to figure it out, but we actually missed something. Because look, I understand like tactically there was a case for it. And tactically mm -hmm. we could have a whole discussion about that. But like in looking purely at the tactics, maybe you're missing just how nasty Barrios was on that day. And maybe you're missing the fact that there's the the potential of a cost here. If you try to make that move and it backfires, there is a real human cost here as far as what that's going to do to the trust between the players and the coaches mm -hmm. and even the fans. See, to me, that reminds me of the South Park Exxon Valdez episode where it's like, we're sorry. <laughs> like, that's just, it's not, <laughs> yeah. hey, is all the oil out of the ocean? No, but we're sorry. And the other part of it too is like, I get it. And they, so, if someone does apologize, I think that goes some ways to the fans where some of them go, hey, at least maybe they're going to change. Um, but then I'm, I'm looking at it and saying, so wait, then it's not your conviction, right? Like, so wait, now you are going to mend your strategy to the wills of the fans and the people that cover this team. Well, it's not I, to like, the fans. It's not to the fans. Yeah. Though, because, you know, it, it's, it's not about conceding to the fans. Like I've talked to baseball people about this because, you know, I've, uh -huh. I've texted a fair amount in the last, you know, few days, a couple of days uh, about that whole decision. Right. And I've texted, I know some really analytical people in the game and I, I wanted someone to say to me, that it was the right call. I, I honestly wanted to hear that perspective from someone because it, it just would have made it make a bit more sense in my mind. But mm. even in talking to analytical people, people who are in charge of analytical departments with other teams, no one was saying that to me. Mm -hmm. Woof. No one is a tough. <laughs> like no one, no one is a really tough quote. Yeah. Um, okay, last one. You will be there. What is the question you're gonna ask? you know, basically trying to nail down what went wrong. I'll uh -huh. ask a lot of questions. I mean, yeah. why was the base running not good enough? What's next for, um, you know, Vlad Guerrero Jr.? What's uh -huh. next for, um, you know, the pending free agents? I think that what's next for the coaching staff? Because we know Louis Rivera is not coming back. Yeah. You know, what does that mean for for the coaches? So there's some very specific questions. Um, I'll ask some of them. I'm sure my colleagues on the beat will ask, you know, a bunch of the other ones. Um, but there are there are like six, seven, eight, nine, like factual questions that kind of have to be asked and answered. So I, I probably won't get to talk to you like on the day because it'll likely be, well, as we said, the leaf season opener where they bury this thing. But yeah, I always do true serum, right? You get to take the true serum dart and you shoot it into one person's neck and you get to ask the like one question they're going to give you a completely truthful answer on. Then, then what's your true serum question? Like who are you shooting the dart into whose neck? And then what's the question? Hmm. Um, okay. That's good. Uh, yeah, I would say Mark Shapiro. Who do you blame? Yeah. And he's just like, he's like myself. <laughs> like, oh no. <laughs> yeah. I'd want to know. Yeah. No, I don't know. Of course. No, that's a good one. Who do yeah. you blame? Is, what would you say? I, I think it's gotta be, uh, yeah, I think you have to choose Shapiro. Um, yeah. And I, and I think, you, the, the the question that I would shoot in is, so what changes or like, what's the number one change? Cause I, yeah. I think it'd be interesting. I think there might be a scenario in his, the, the true serum as it's coursing through his veins that he goes, we got to trade Vlad. Like, I really do think that that might be a thing. You know, I don't, I don't expect the blue, like, I'm not sitting here thinking the Jays are going to extend Vlad to a 10 year deal anymore. I know. I'm really not. Yeah. But I don't think they're going to trade him. 
I don't think they're going to either because it's a really difficult trade to make. This is just the the truth serum dart question is like, yeah, maybe it's even more poignant. Maybe it's like, can like can you win if Vlad is one of your two most important players? Like and and it's possible that Vlad Jr. is not a franchise changing player, right? It's I think possible. it's probable to be um, honest at this point. Yeah, and and look, like the, there were tons of expectations. His dad's mm-hmm. in the friggin' Hall of Fame. Yeah, man. But maybe he's a very good player. Maybe he's which is fine, and, and that's fine. You should be able to win with a very good player. So again, it's not on Vlad Jr. If he's a very good player and like brings all this energy and really good vibes and like I don't know, Vlad Jr. shows up. He really cares. Like he makes mistakes, but he really cares. He's not mm-hmm. a bad dude to have around from a baseball standpoint. Um, I don't know. You should be able to win with that. Yeah, that's very not, good players help you win. That's not the case I'm making here, though. It's like I think Vlad is a fine baseball player. I think he's a you know above average hitter, all of those things. But the way that this team is built right now is under the premise of this guy is a superstar in the middle of your lineup. And I can tell you that how I felt with him at the plate in just about every major moment this year, right? Runners on, whatever. And I know his numbers with runners on were fine, but. Like I was talking to Blake about this. Uh, I'd love to actually have someone dig in and show me, you know, the garbage time ABs here, right? Like the the high leverage Vladdy moments this year. Just my gut watching him play was not, oh, damn. Like we knew what it felt like to watch Josh Donaldson in a big spot, right? Like yeah. he's coming to the dish and you went, oh, like the whole stadium is going to shake. Like the other team is going to know that that guy is at the plate. Jose like Bautista, like all of this, Edwin even. And and I don't have that feeling with Vladimir Guerrero Jr. anymore. Like that's not nope. there. I, I don't sit there and go, I think that teams fear him. I think they go, yeah, we'll be all right here. Um, we, we'll be we'll be fine. Anyways, we got to let yeah. you go. Um, I always love our chats. Thanks for the time, buddy. And yes, I'll probably be texting you a lot. It's just put your phone on silent during that media conference. <laughs> <laughs> Sounds good. Yeah. All right, JD. Bing, Have bing, a good bing. one. Man. <laughs> See you later, buddy. Ben Nicholson-Smith at the letters. Um, and of course, MLB editor for Sportsnet. All right, we got to take a quick break. Oh, I've got one quick thought on this after, though. Sportsnet 590, The Fan. I'm going to go do a quick one here and then hit the break. Maybe we'll save a closing Blue Jay thought with all the fellas at the end of the show today because i got to get to Connor Orr. But, yeah, sometimes you need to take a step back to take a step forward. That's going to end up being the key for the interview with Connor about the article that he just wrote. And, and I do wonder if that could end up being actually a scenario for the Toronto Blue Jays. Anyways, let's take a quick break. Let's come back. And, uh, yeah, should one of the biggest teams in the NFL tank this season? That's next. All right, the Bears are good now. Uh, Bears. Bears are fine. Actually, I got to tell you that if you were playing DJ Moore in your fantasy league, that's Ooh-hoo. just one of those ones where you, you just like you close the laptop, you make some bets on some other games, you don't really pay attention to your team. It's actually kind of freeing. It's kind of freeing for you. Congrats to those of you that ended up having that experience. Is Anyways, it, is that season high? Two thirty, three tuds. Oh, that's got to be forty-one. Gotta, there's nobody that's had more fantasy points than that. No, I mean, like, do you think that lasts for the next uh, twelve weeks? Yeah, probably. I think the Bears are totally fine. It's going to be great. Actually, I t- so this is interesting because, like, this is sort of one of the things I well, the main point of conversation with our next guest is, I felt good for Bears fans, but like, oh, you got a moment. But I also felt really bad for them. Connor Orr, senior writer for Sports Illustrated, co-host of the Monday Morning Quarterback Podcast. Hey, what's up, buddy? How we doing? 
Not good. I'm playing DJ Moore in fantasy. Oh, yeah. <laughs> but again, you're free. You're free, break. Connor. You're free. You can just enjoy the games. You don't have to think about anything because there's nothing worse than like I have Brian Robinson and I was just sitting there last night and like it's it's Gibson the rest of the way. I'm like just in, I'm miserable. I can't enjoy this game. So I'm like, give him, just give him some check downs. Let him, he can catch a check down. I believe in him. I believe in his ability to catch a check down. But all right, you, you know, you wrote this great piece on tanking and I teased it going into the break about one of the teams that should definitely be considering it. I was talking about it last week, actually, how it feels like it is time for the Bengals to take a knee. So we, we will get into this. I just, how do you think a Bears fan feels watching yesterday's game? Like they have the Carolina pick, so... I think you're probably thinking about some, you want some positives, but if I'm them, don't you want like the fields question at the end of the year to not be a question? Right. Yes, you don't. But I would imagine that if fields keeps playing the way he does, I mean, it's a two week sample size, so Mm -hmm. it's almost half of your season at this point. I, I think you would rather have fields, ready to go and compete for a playoff spot next year than to start over again. And the reason that I say that is because I think we're probably getting to the point where it's, we're fairly thin on the offensive genius coaching tree that of people who are coming up and who are going to fix this thing immediately. So I don't know. I mean, you know, it depends on how you feel about Matt Eberflus. I think Luke Getzey is actually a pretty good, play caller and I think a lot of people like him and I think he's made a lot of adjustments so I don't know I I think you see where it goes because the Carolina pick is a little bit of a sweetener here yeah that's nice right like and like I'm a Seahawks fan I really enjoyed last season where I could root for my team but also root against the team it's kind of the sweetest thing actually is having a draft pick of a really bad team especially when that really bad team has your former quarterback and you're pissed off about the way he left uh, and rooting against him and for his demise. That was fun. I recommend that to all sports fans, having the <laughs> pure schadenfreude season. Like, oh, it's gorgeous. It's a really, really, truly special thing for a sports fan. So they, they do have that pick. I just, I like, in talking to everyone, like Brady Quinn is our Monday morning insider on the show, and he just adores Caleb Williams. He thinks that this guy's, you know, as, as good as advertised, as good as the, the clips that we're watching, as the games that we're seeing from Caleb Williams. I would just think if you're a Bears fan, I'm already looking at this year and saying, yep, it would be after last week anyway, when I see like we're sitting pole position for the top two picks, that's kind of where my mind is. And I feel like a lot of fan bases are starting to pivot that way, right? Like if you're a Giants fan right now, yeah, it sucks. You gave Daniel Jones this contract. You have, um, yeah, a team that looks like they're in, yeah, complete disrepair. But so many franchises, I feel like now we're at the point of the season where they're going to be going, I hope my team loses. Like, are we going to see it to you? This feels like the first big time tank year where you really wanted your team to tank since Andrew Luck, since the suck for luck year. I would, I would put Trevor Lawrence probably in that category as mm. well. Um, but I would use him as a perfect example. Like Trevor's great. I mean, yeah, he's the best fine. quarterback of that class by far, but right. Your best season so far was a nine and eight year. Um, this year he hasn't been lighting the world on fire. Like this stuff takes time. And I'm, I, I would almost guarantee that when Caleb comes into the NFL, you're going to need a season to figure out what he likes. You're going to have to sample the USD offense. You're going to have to adapt things the way that he wants them. Your team is going to be bad. So you're going to need offensive line help. You know, I mean, this is going to be a process where I feel like we're seeing some of these other teams actually make some headway by taking quarterbacks who've already gone through the rigors of the NFL and 
you know, signing a game manager. Like, look at what Josh Dobbs is doing in Arizona. Look at what Baker Mayfield is doing in Tampa Bay. Um, up, I mean, Sam Howell has already won two games this year in the NFL, even though they played like garbage last night. But I do think that there is, there's also a school of thought in the league right now that like, hey, the economics are such that we can get by with uh, a game manager, game manager plus. And I, I do think a lot of teams are, are leaning in that direction if Caleb Williams isn't in the, uh, isn't in the cards. Here's what I will say, though, for a Bears fan. You can't be the team that every time you play Patrick Mahomes or, you know, the, your fans go, you know, you could have had him or like the opposing fans, the broadcast does it. And, and I feel like that with the Caleb Williams thing now, too, right, is if Fields gets just good enough where they're able to pick him because of that Panthers pick, but then they decide, oh, you know what, the Fields thing, he's in the offense, he's the sure thing, and then you end up passing on the second Patrick Mahomes. Like, I don't know how you recover from that as a fan base. I would, I mean, this isn't uh, a source thing, but I would almost guarantee, uh, I, I would put my house on the idea that if they were in that position, they yeah. would take them. Yeah, they would, no not, they would yeah, not be like, you know what? Yeah, no. Fields had some good games. Remember the three touchdown passes that killed Connor Orr's fantasy team? <laughs> <We're just> like, <laughs> <laughs> we got to think back to that time, that moment. Okay, so let's move to the like the piece, your article talking about the Cincinnati Bengals. And like, if you're talking about, man, this week, it's the ultimate, we've seen nothing from the Bengals. We've seen a lot from the Cardinals. They've sort of become everybody's team. Like every football fan right now, I feel like the approval rating on Josh Dobbs and the Arizona Cardinals is through the roof. Like, again, I'm a Seahawks fan. And I love them. I love Josh Dobbs. I love the Cardinals. I love that they're plucky. I like that they just, you know, actually have a pass rush, that they're a fun team that they've been entertaining so far. They run the ball well. And yet the Bengals are favored this weekend does it come down to this one? Like if the Bengals lose this game to the team that our eye test is saying is better than the Cincinnati Bengals, does it become shutdown time for Joe Burrow? I, I mean, I would think so, but I would say even if they win, because the schedule after this gets much worse. And so I think before it gets better again. And so, okay, if you win this game, you're, you have two wins, but then you lose your next two. Um, mm-hmm. I, I, I don't have it in front of me, but I do remember it being, you know, two of the harder games on their schedule. So you lose those next two games and you're in just as bad of a position. And, you know, I heard from a lot of Bengals fans yesterday who were very upset, but I mean, I, I think they need to take the bird's eye view here and mm-hmm. understand that. I mean, gosh, look at San Francisco. They had some bad years in the middle of this run. And they end up with players like, you know, I mean, Nick Bosa. And so all of a sudden it, you know, it gives you access to a level of talent that you would have never had access to. And, you know, tanking is a, is a dirty word in the NFL, but I, the Bengals have done everything they've, they've, they've been able to do to protect Joe Burrow. I think this is kind of your ultimate protect Joe Burrow move here. Yeah. The case that you outline is great. For me, it's just simply, why would you risk aggravating an injury that could potentially have Burrow out of games next year, too? Like, that that just seems to me like if their medical staff is saying that there's a decent percentage that he gets hurt, like, I don't know how they're going to justify to the fan base if he leaves on a cart and, you know, they're doing that shot of he's been hurt for a long time, and then what does it become? The, the question I was going to have for you, though, on this thing is, like, the Bengals are notoriously cheap, Right. They're the team that Carson Palmer was like, yeah, yeah, they made us pay for our, our own meals at the facility. So how much of that do you think is weighing on this decision? Well, what's interesting is the, they've almost completely changed 
the way that they've operated since Burrow has been here. Actually, since Zach Taylor has been there. I think they've been the number two or number three spending team in free agency since Zach Taylor became the head coach. Um, they sold the naming rights to the stadium uh, to generate more income, theoretically, uh, probably to add to the kitty for the Joe Burrow and Jamar Chase contract. And they're, they're buying up offensive linemen like gangbusters. Like, I really do think that they have – they recognize what they have right now. They understand the window of time. They've sullied the careers of a couple other franchise quarterbacks in the past, and you know that they're not going to make that mistake again. I think Mike Brown is completely and totally smitten with this. And I, I do think it's all systems go. And so maybe that's the feeling that's complicating this decision where I'm sure Joe Burrow is saying he can play. Mm-hmm. I'm also sure that they have that thing in the back of their mind that you talked about, right? Like what if this really messes up a long, a very good long-term situation? Well, I think that's the other one is you asking Joe Burrow, the competitor, right? Hey, we want to play this safe. We don't think that you're healthy enough. And we're going through this right now in Toronto with a starting pitcher named Alec Manoa, which is he disagrees with the team about the medicals. Toronto famously got a player in Kawhi Leonard because he disagreed with the San Antonio Spurs on the medicals. And and I feel like you opening that Pandora's box with a player of, hey, we're potentially not on the same page about how healthy you are. Like now maybe you're putting yourself at risk of losing Joe Burrow forever. Right. Like if the organization tells him in his prime that he can't play and they don't believe in his ability to win, like that just feels like something you have to be extremely, extremely, extremely careful about. Because on paper, it sounds great. We want to take care of your health. And in reality, I feel like it's a lot more complicated. It's everything is complicated. Right. I mean, you have you have so many dynamics that you have to consider in a situation like this, like. You know, uh, you have to worry about Burroughs' long-term perception. I mean, there's mm-hmm. players that are going to be here with him in the long term. Are they going to think that he's sitting out for the betterment of his own good? And, again, this is a hypothetical situation. We're discussing. Yeah, but it's a good hypothetical because, like, yeah, I think that there's a real scenario here this week. If he gets lit up by that Cardinals defense, which, again, has been plucky, then I just, yeah, I think it's going to be the prevailing conversation. I think you're a week ahead of the conversation that's going to be the biggest one in football outside of the Cowboys. Yeah. Uh, and, you know, ultimately, I, I think we need to get out of this mode like Bill Belichick and Tom Brady made it possible for us to imagine basically 20 straight years of dominance. And mm-hmm. I think that's what every, everybody envisions. But that is wholly unrealistic. You had the greatest player in NFL history. You had a time and a place where everything worked the way that it did. It, it, it doesn't happen that way. And the way to stay on top now is to have access to really good cheap talent. And if the Bengals were to have a top five pick next year, they either get one of the best offensive line defensive end, or they can trade a pick for uh, you know, a, a pick where someone wants to come up for a quarterback. Any of these three prospects are some of the best that we're talking about in, in decades. And mm-hmm. so I think they're in a really good spot and it saves them from having to sign one of their wide receivers, saves them from having to spend all this money on offensive tackles like they keep doing. And, I don't know. It just seems like a very regenerative thing that they can do for themselves if they wanted to. Yeah, I, I would say to people listening to this, go to SI.com. Um, you should read all the time as well because it's really, really good stuff. But yeah, the, the piece is up on SI.com right now. It's right there. So are your power rankings. And so I, I like to do a thing on Fridays of just like the teams that have something to prove or the most to prove. And this week I have three, and I wanted to go through them with you. Number one to me is the Dallas Cowboys. I'm curious 
this is the this feels like the biggest Dallas Cowboys regular season game to me in a while where it's like we were really in on this team. We went, holy crap, maybe this group is different. And then they lay an egg and we say, oh, no, it's the same old Cowboys. Now they've got, I think, a team that most of us believe consensus is the best team in the NFL, the most complete team in the NFL with an elite defense. Like how, how much stock are you going to put into what we see from the Cowboys this this week? And like, what is the thing that you view as the most important part of this game? Well, I think you put a great deal into it. And I would say that, um, you know, because I, I would view the 49ers as the class of the conference. The, the, that's the, the, that is the avenue that Dallas is going to have to go through if they would seriously consider a, a Super Bowl run this year. And I think I'm looking at two things. From Dallas's perspective, what does, what does Mike McCarthy do when that defense is challenged and he has to put up all the points? You know, I mean, he has had so much – He's been a good play caller this year, right? But you've had points scored by Bones Fossil special teams unit off fake field goals. You've had a ton of points scored defensively that have helped you out. Can you put up the 40-point Mike McDaniel game? Are you capable of that? Is Dak Prescott capable of that? Do you have the firepower capable of that? And I would say from the 49ers' perspective, the same thing that we've always wondered with San Francisco. What happens when the Kyle Shanahan offense doesn't work? What happens when... He is challenged to the point where, you know, you can't run this beautiful, intricate narrative game plan. And, you know, I think that that's where we've seen them fail in the past is when it essentially turns into a street fight where a lot of the, hey, I'm going to make this look like this and confuse you, you know, that gets thrown out the window and it's a little bit more of a slugfest. You know, I hope that the is Brock pretty good question remains like one of the great mysteries, like, how did the pyramids get built? You know, is Brock Purdy actually good? I hope those things just stay the same, but this is just remains to be like two touchdowns from Brock Purdy. They were fine. And the Niners win this game, uh, but it's nothing in spectacular fashion. I, I just feel like, yeah, this is going to be a, again, the two talking points next week. This is why it's the two prove me games at the very top. It's going to be, yeah. What Dak Prescott does in this game and whether or not that offense can hang with the 49ers, if they put up points, Two is going to be the Burrow question, especially if the, like if the Bengals win, it's going to be, hey, is this team going to go on a run? Is Are they better off than we thought? If they lose, it's going to be your tank question or do you shut it down? And I think team three, the Jacksonville Jaguars, you know, you mentioned the Trevor Lawrence thing. They've been sitting now in England. They're waiting for a Bills team that's coming off of what I think is a highly emotional win. And yeah, this feels like a little bit of a letdown spot for Buffalo. Trevor Lawrence, he had a game against the Chiefs this year, and it was way underwhelming. Then he has a game against a team that's supposed to be, what, two years behind them? At least a year behind them in Houston? And they lay an egg there. And it's just been a year from Trevor Lawrence where you can point to some stuff and say it's been fine, but ultimately, like, the body of work leaves you a little bit cold. And I have actually a Jags fan in my life who's like, oh, it's Calvin Ridley, it's this, they still don't have the weapons, maybe the coaching, like... How, how big a weekend do you think this is for Jacksonville to at least be able to show up and say, like, we're in somewhere near where the Bills, a contender, are at? Yeah, I think it's a it's a where-do-I-belong kind of game, right? And if Buffalo just completely stiff-arms them, then I think that we kind of start asking some hard questions about the Jaguars. And, mm-hmm. you know, I think we have to keep in perspective just how – bad the situation was when Urban Meyer was there and you're essentially starting over completely. Um, and yes, Doug Peterson did a great job last year, but I think we look at teams like the Giants too last year that maybe they got a couple of bounces and they won a couple more games than they should have. And that affected our perception going into this year in terms of 
roster quality. But I think this is a good team. I think Jacksonville is a really good team. There's a reason why they were very trendy sort of conference title game pick. And I think that we need to see a lot more from them than we've seen so far this year. I mean, this is an athletic young defense with a lot of, um, with a lot of draft equity poured into it. You had one of the best quarterback prospects in, in a generation. And I would say if you're not within three points of Buffalo or beating them at this point, then I think there do have, you do have to ask some serious questions about where you're at uh, from a progress standpoint. 100%. Yeah, they're 12 in your power rankings. And, yeah, I feel like this is going to be – they're either going to take a significant leap with a win or even a, like a, a really competitive strong game with Buffalo. But, yeah, if they get smoked, I feel like you're going to be dropping them. Um, in next week's rankings. Hey, Connor, um, again, co-host of the MMQB podcast, senior writer for Sports Illustrated, a great follow on Twitter as well. Hey, thanks, man. Thanks for the time. Thank you, guys. Appreciate it. Take care. There goes, Connor Orr. Yeah, those are my three proven teams this weekend. Did I miss anybody? Because is there a team this weekend that you're really looking at and saying, I can't wait to see what they do against any opponent? I'm not going to... Tommy? Yeah, I'm not going to uh, like sit here and be like, oh, I can't wait to watch this game, but St. Pat's is actually... Yeah, that's a measure stick game for me. Like, what's well, what are the Saints? What is that defense? Because you're gonna go into Foxborough. Mm-hmm. A lot of it's gonna be a, a real, uh, real slug fest. See what they are. You know, I, I think that's like a you know, play the under if you're betting. Oh yeah, Jobo, that's your team. I will say this: I don't think this one's about you guys so much as like here's here's how it's about you guys. If you're actually a playoff team and you're good this year, then you should smoke the Patriots because they've kind of looked pretty bad. The only team that they beat. The only team they seem to be able to beat is the Jets. So kind of important one for you. But I do think this one's about the Patriots just in the sense of like we get a lot of Boston media coverage through sports, right? It's just a massive hub. I hate that that's one of their sports talk radio stations because like I'm like, I think of a different word. I couldn't do it. But it is. It's a, it's a major epicenter for sports in North America. There is a ton of content that comes out of there. You know, a lot of us listen to Bill Simmons. A lot of people listen to Ryan Rossillo. Like, there's, they're pretty pervasive in terms of sports culture. We, we've had years and years and years of the Patriots. Bill Belichick is always kind of at the top. It's been a crazy week for them. Like, basically every football-adjacent podcast that I have seen has had some New England guest on. And there's a lot of, like, Belichick's going to get fired talk. Robert Kraft isn't happy talk. They are now really feeling the weight of that Tom Brady decision. Like they backed the wrong horse, Kraft backed the wrong horse, and Belichick is put together as the general manager, a team that is completely bereft of talent. Their defense isn't quite good enough. Like I feel if the Saints, Derek Carr is still going to do this. Uh, apparently he's still going to play, yeah, and I agree with you. It's like if you can't stomp the Patriots who are in a tire fire right now, it's you have to ask serious questions about the offense because we know the defense is good, but – Car can't move the chains against the Pats, then, yeah, you got to go back to the drawing board a little bit. Yeah, but I, it's like if the Saints do stomp them out, it's like, okay, good. The Saints are fine. The Saints are all right. That division is alive, even though, like, poof, that was a really, really bad loss last weekend to Baker. And now all of a sudden, Baker's getting, like, real hype. And Don't remind me of yeah, it. Yeah, it's, it's, it's kind of nice. I, I like when Baker's relevant, either for good or bad, you know? Like, I like it when we're hating on Baker, but I actually also like it that Baker is sort of taking a team and is scrappy and doing all right. But... Yeah, I feel like if the Patriots fall to one and four, then they're it's not happening. 
But you, you think they're going to win this game? They're not. They're not going one and four. That's just not happening. It, it can't happen. And also, I, like, and what, Tom, what, your your Patriot just hate and hurt. Like the hurt for view of a Bills fan with the Pats. You're like, no, no. They, like they're still but, the boogeyman to you. You're like, they're not going to give. They're not. Bill be Belichick loses a game by 35 points. He doesn't come in and lose the following week. That just doesn't happen. Like, yeah, it, it doesn't happen. And the Saints aren't. I don't know. I, I haven't seen enough from them offensively. They're they're dealing with some injuries in key spots too. It's going to be a slugfest. They're going to run the ball thirty. I'm talking about the Patriots. They're going to run the ball forty times. Mm-hmm. Man, they're they're going to play small ball. They're going to take minutes off the clock. They're going to have good field position. It's going to be a loud barn. I don't I, know though. I feel like it has the potential to turn really sour if they're just not able to score points. And here, this is the real fascinating thing with them, right? In the tank conversation, that's why I want to have it with you guys and not with Connor, but. Like, all these teams right now, like, these are the teams, the number one nightmare team is Carolina, right? Like, they need to win games because they can't give up the number one pick and, yeah, have traded Caleb Williams for someone who, sure, you get time, you're not writing off Bryce Young, but can you show me one thing other than it looks so painful when you get hit? I was talking on the phone with my buddy the other day where I was like, remember how, you know, every group of guys has had the conversation of, like, and and you even had it where you're like, I think I could get a yard in the NFL. But like every group of guys has seen a big hit and been like, how do NFL players get up? Because if that was me, a normal human, I need to be carted off. And I'm like, mom, where's my mom? Call her. You know, somebody hold my hand while I'm being taken off the field on a stretcher. I can't, I can't do this alone. Um, Bryce Young answers that question almost every week of like, what would it look like if I was on the field getting hit? That. That's almost exactly what it would look like. He gets plastered. You can't You can't do that. But they're not in the tank conversation. But the teams that I feel like, okay, at what point do you just want your team to just shut it down? Giants fans are there. Giants fans are like, yep, suck. We're over it. Daniel Jones stinks. Don't bring Saquon back. Let's ride out the season and be terrible. Cardinals fans... I think are still there. And there's probably, if you gave them the truth serum that I talked about earlier, they would tell you that this is a bit of a nightmare that they're like kind of fun and scrappy. And the rest of the world's like, look at you guys go. And they're like, we had already mentally prepared to be horrible. What we didn't prepare for is drafting seventh this year. That's really not what we want. Then I think the Bengals are there, but not really for the quarterback, but for the reasons Connor outlined, where it's like you can do kind of the reset, the middle of the year reset on a year where you don't have it. What, what are we talking about? What do you mean? The Cincinnati you Bengals. Think? No, the Cincinnati Bengals yeah. were an 0 2 team last year to start the season. I know it's yeah, a little different than 1 and 3. But he had both his calves. Yeah, he doesn't. Yeah, he doesn't look healthy. They got to find a different <laughs> way to, to move the ball. He's just got to be, yeah, whatever. We'll, we'll come off it, but. No, the Cincinnati Bengals are not tanking. They're going to win this week. They're going to they're going to put a statement in. And even look at their games. They got blown out two games. Mm-hmm. Their win against the Rams was tight. Their loss against the Ravens was tight. And every time they play in that division, those games are tight. I'll also I don't is, think it's a small sample size for me. If they lose this game, if they lose the Cardinals this week, it's got to be their fans say, "Shut down Joe and let's go for a pick." Could you imagine if Jake they Browning got time. you know yeah Marvin Harrison Jr. all of a sudden lands on that team and they let T Higgins walk? Like it's a pretty compelling case. Then I think it's the Broncos. They're obviously in full tank. Like, they don't care. It's like, imagine being able to get out of the Russell Wilson thing and replace him with Caleb Williams. Like, they they want it so badly. Of course they do. The Jets, I don't think, want to tank. Like, but if they lose this week to Denver, then it does become, hey, don't get any dreams of Aaron Rodgers showing back up. Like, whatever. I think Minnesota fans would love for their team to tank, and they're going to lose this game, and they just need to trade Kirk Cousins because otherwise they're going to end up winning games. But what I think you ultimately want from this week is Kirk Cousins to ball, and the Chiefs to beat you, and the conversation around your team to be 
You're now one in four. You have to trade Kirk Cousins and hit the tank button. And then I think the Las Vegas Raiders are clearly one of those teams too, where it's just like, you suck. <laughs> you suck. There's nothing, there's nothing really redeemable. Like these are the teams this week that are fully into the, like, we want a tank mode. The interesting one is going to be New England. Like I mentioned, like to tie it all back, Bill Belichick is going for the coaching record, the wins record amongst coaches. He's not going to tank games. He's Bill Belichick. He's never going to buy into the program. And if he continues to lose those games, people are going to say you're washed up. You put together a horrible team. It's like Patriots fans are almost in a, this is karmaic. This is almost sweet, but they're in this like horrible, horrible position where if they do tank and get closer to an elite talent, like a Caleb Williams, we all get to say that Belichick was a bit of a fraud. He cheated. He, he filmed those run, those run throughs. And then he had Tom Brady. He had Tom Brady and you guys were like the greatest coach alive ends up getting fired before he can break the coaching record and leaves in disgrace from new England. And it's just a acrimonious departure between him and the owner. But maybe you get like, one of the second best or third best quarterbacks in the draft. That should be right? such a Patriots thing right? to have but that's But that's what I'm saying is the, the Patriots have either you win games and you're definitely not winning anything this year, but you remove yourself from that top pick and your coach gets closer to the record and you get to keep the, the guy for another year and potentially a bad general manager or he leaves in disgrace. So that's what you get, Patriots. That's what you get. They have winnable games on the schedule. They got the Saints and they sure. got Raiders. Yeah. And they got a couple of tight divisional games, always tight. They, they play the Dolphins I mean, they well. Lost the, the Raiders last year by throwing a pass back into their own end zone. So I'm not going to put but, down any win. For but look them. at this. Commanders, Colts, Giants, mm-hmm. game against the Steelers, game against the Broncos, game against the Jets. Those are all winnable games yeah, for the that's Pats. A, that's a pretty nice schedule. Yeah, they'll probably, turn, they'll probably write the ship and then the Boston people will be like, we wrote off Belichick and then he turns out. But apparently, like, the Belichick move is and fair, but that they've sucked. And that the fan base wants to see something, but that he's in like, he had a moment at his media conference the other day where they asked him about some, like, uh, was it thin times or something? And he's like, there haven't been a lot of bad moments. With yeah, his like he gets, yeah. he's gotten, like, he gets defensive like that oh, all yeah, the time. He's, though, yeah. he's getting super defensive and yeah. they're getting a little frisky and yeah, mm, just something to keep an eye on there. The New England stuff. This is an important one. If they're going to be competitive, this is going to be an important one. What? Why I don't break. Okay. I like how these guys all just gave me a hand signal. There's three guys behind the glass today, and they're like, they're doing this. They did the, like, keep it going, keep it going thing. But that could we're, also. We were all yelling. That could be wrapped. But that could all be wrap it up. It's like, I don't know what your guys' on-the-fly hand signals mean. Like, we're not in the Marine Corps and have been practicing this for forever. Like this. What you guys just did. Just Joe, John Snyder, yeah. dude. Yeah, he was yeah exactly. You. You just gave me a sign. Like, yeah. We haven't learned the signs. I don't know what that means. <laughs> None of that makes any sense to me. All right. Let's uh let's hit the weekend. What did we miss? All right. Let's uh let's let's hit the stories that we we have not gotten to. All right, Jobo, what do you got? Joel Embiid committing to Team USA for the 2024 Paris Olympics. First reactions, what do you think? Ah, it's an ultimate front runner move. It makes me sick that this is even possible. Um the one thing the United States didn't have was a reliable center going into this tournament. And if you look at Team Canada, and trying to dream about beating the States again. Yeah, they were always going to have a more competitive roster. They were going to bring Kevin Durant this time around. Oh, a lot of, the thing about the American team this year was they were going to bring a lot of old guys. There's going to be a lot of like LeBron is going to come and Kevin Durant is going to come. And I went, all right, how are those guys going to work with potentially some of the 
younger players like the Devin Bookers who should probably be taking more shots, you know? The Jason Tatums that this team should probably revolve around. Do I think Canada had a real shot at beating the States at the Olympics? No, but stranger things have happened. And one of the paths to victory was neither of you guys really have the center position locked up. Like Canada doesn't have an amazing international center and neither did the United States. They're going to go like bam at a bio. And you thought, all right, it's all right. Like it's good. Going to bring a really quality player, but you don't have a seven-footer. In international ball, the seven-footers matter so much more, right? Like, there's different rules. And if you can have a, a massive big, it is wildly beneficial to you. Part of the reason that I was like, play Zach Eady a little bit more, try to find Zach Eady some minutes in this tournament was he could actually be critically important to Canada's future at these international tournaments, even though he's obviously not nearly the caliber of basketball players like a Dwight Powell or a Kelly Olenek at this point. Either way, Joel Embiid doing this, the only thing this reminds me of is KD. Like, cool. You went to the best team. You're one of the best players, and you joined the Warriors. Like, congratulations, Joel Embiid. Are we supposed to be excited about your potential prospects of winning? Armin's dying to talk about this. Like, basketball bad take king, Armin Zargarian. Just like, what? What? Like He grabbed the headset I know, he's, so quickly. He's, like, shaking behind the glass trying to get this takeout. Like, what is it? What do you need to say so badly here? No, I just want to say I don't want to go as far as given the KD comparison, because Cameroon's not even qualified for the Olympics yet. He might not even be able to go to the Olympics. So I'm just going to give him a pass on yeah, that. You know I feel Cameroon's you, though. It's a weak decision. not getting to the Olympics? You know how his country's never getting there? Is if he doesn't play for the team. Like, they have him and Siakam. That should be enough. Like, you two guys team up. Elevate your actual country. You just bailing to go play. This is like infinity worse than Brett Hall. Like, this is, like, a billion times worse. This is Kevin Durant. No, man, it's a totally pathetic move. I, there's absolutely zero justification for this thing. It's it's bad. It's lame. I hate that it's allowed. And I get it. He's a citizen, whatever. I just, you got to be kidding me, man. You, you absolutely have to be kidding me that the United States now is just going to be doing this. And all I have to say is that Soccer Canada better do this stuff come next World Cup, all right? Like, get some, get some of the world's top players and... Bring them into Canada right now. Give them citizenship. Figure out a way. Give them massive bribes. I don't care how you do it. Like, we need more Canadians to be here for the World Cup. Ugh, this is despicable stuff. No also, defensive three in the key for Embiid. That's just, that's for him, mean. that's living. That's what I'm saying is international centers. You can get a footer in there. You can get a guy that doesn't have to. Like That's the rule. And who can knock the ball off the rim. Joel Embiid's going to have the time of his life playing with the American players sucks ruins. It, it, honestly, it ruins a lot of the tournament. All right, hold on. Now we're going to take a quick break. We're going to come back and we're going to do the rest of what we missed. Sportsnet 590, the fan. All right. I'm going to continue what we missed here. Jobo, Tom Stewart. Yo, yo. Armin and Austin behind the glass. <laughs> Armin still dying to get off horrible takes. He's, he's always adjusting mics. Firing off hands. Armin's the most enthusiastic bad take giver I've ever seen. Mackie's the opposite, actually. It's like I got to drag it out of Mackie sometimes. He gives it to you when you don't want it. And then when you do, he's like, I don't know. But then he feels bad. It's no, I, I, like a, I like a confident bad take, dude. If you're going to have yeah. a hot take, save from your from the diaphragm. The thing dude, is, you know? is like a hot take is one thing. A horrible take is another. But like, a, confident, <laughs> a confident horrible take. There's some, I know. You know, that's, that's fun. I get it. It's just, you know? I'm waiting. This is, I'm not even, this isn't even a bit. Uh, this is not a bit. <laughs> this is a 
painfully honest thing. Armin has yet to have a take that I'm like, I kind of agree with that. Or like, that's actually kind of passable. It's like every single take he has given me is bad. Armin, you have to fight back. Yeah, like, give us like, a gun. Rattle off a few. Rattle off a few. He's like, I brought up Dame three months ago. He yeah. hated it. And then it actually almost was happened. It, I, I was praying it happened. Oh, you're horrible. Timing like, timelines. Though, right? Yeah. Like, you're like, Dame three months ago. It was three weeks no, ago. I brought it up. Months before it was in the rumor mill. Oh, you're talking. So you're Shams, essentially. Wait, is what the, you're saying. you mean to the Raptors? Not that he wanted to leave, right? Because he has to leave at the very beginning of the offseason. You're no, like, no, I was for the Raptors acquiring. Yeah, okay, yeah. yeah. I was like, be a little bit more clear. I was the first one saying Dame wants out. I was ahead of the curve, baby. Yeah, all right. Yeah, you just have to. You don't have internet at your house. <laughs> it's just you and your brother. No, he's the Internet Explorer. Yeah, and it loads yeah. like three months later. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Oh, Dame requested that. Uh, like, I talk about this. It's like it used to be as. A, I, like I loved the West Coast teams. I grew up a Seattle SuperSonics fan, mm-hmm. and so many times you'd have to wait for the score in the newspaper. But they yeah. have to get the newspaper out, and so you'd only get like the halftime box score, and you'd have to wait like a day later yeah. to get Jesus. both scores. I would say like late game beside it, or yeah. like ended too late. Again, you don't know. You literally. Weren't I used born to. At this I used time. to read like those things, and every time the Leafs had a West when Coast game, read they would say they probably couldn't even read. Yeah, I was like, point. what are you talking no, no, no. about? Yeah, I used to read the newspaper every day. Sport, you, sports page. You, I'm not even kidding. This was not a thing. Okay, all right. I'm not even kidding. Maybe someone read it to you today on Liars Who Lie. Josiah Bosch. Oh, he lied. Dude, I used to have ink stains on my hands because I'd be pressing. I love I was Jovo was just there. going so hard on this. He's like, then I actually worked <laughs> yeah. at the newspaper. <laughs> in fact, I still got yeah. newspaper right now. <laughs> yeah, exactly. In Check fact, no, I'm just kidding. <laughs> Star the Post or something like that for sure. It was <laughs> the National Post. It was All the right. Sports Post. All right. Anyways, so there uh, you go. Okay, what's next? <laughs> All right, Brock Purdy was on today. There's an interview, and he revealed that he still splits rent with one of his offensive linemen. Drives a Toyota Sequoia. People were surprised, and Tom thinks. They would not be fun to room with a football player. Tom, you care to elaborate? Yeah, first of all, the most San Francisco thing ever, right? Eh? Like mm-hmm. having a roommate. Third highest Have rent to. average yeah. in the States. Yeah. I thought it was number. That's crazy. But yeah, I think having a roommate sucks anyways. Like glad those days are done. But having a professional athlete roommate would be like someone pulling my teeth out. Dude. That would be <laughs> that would be torturous. They do. They're on the road a lot would be my first thought, which is that's kind of nice, actually. Like, I lived with a guy once who was an electrician who would do, like, work up north all the time. Mm-hmm. So he'd be there half the time, and it would feel like your own place for part of it. And you would say, this is nice. So that part would be good. So what's the bad part? It's, it's preseason. First of all, NFL season's like 17 weeks of games, but it's really like 35 weeks of, of like, run-throughs and, tri- mm-hmm. you know, whatever. Two a days in the summer, you're you know you're, you're lackadaisical. You're trying to have a nice, slow morning. Mm-hmm. Brock Purdy's on his second workout. All of a sudden, you're like seeing a guy who's like, you know, got his stuff together. His, his day's already done at, at noon. You're just rolling out of bed. Mm-hmm. That's not the conditions I want to live in. You see, know, you got to think... level up to him. No, 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 no. See, bring yeah. him down, dude. You know, you, you need to remain <laughs> on your same level. See, bro. Again, yeah. this is what I'm talking about in I terms the of the delusions out. of Armin. He's like, I could get on the level of the starting quarterback <laughs> of the San Francisco 49ers. You're getting like, up with Brock at it, four in the morning? No, you know what I think is the really tough one is even if you're like, even if you've got a girlfriend or a fiance or whatever that, because if it, let's be honest, if you're living with another guy, you don't have a fiance. Oh, maybe it's fiance. That's the max. Mm. You're not married, right? So... Anytime you have a girl over, you know, and Brock Purdy shows up and you're like, and who's your roommate? He's like, I'm the starting quarterback of the San Francisco 49ers. It's like, what do you do? Like, you have to be such 
an A++++ stud yeah. to not have her in the apartment being like, huh, all his things are nicer. I'm leaving huh. I don't think Brock's, cool I don't think Brock's the one you got to worry about because if you're roommates with him at that point, you probably have some sort of a relationship. You know, you guys are kind of boys. No, no, no. It's I Brock's don't think no, no, I with a girl. girl. No, I'm just saying like, I think she's starting to be like, like every day you're compared to the roommate. Like, because let's be honest, like if you're dating someone and they're in the same house as another person, especially when you're younger and like you're single, that is your like number one point of comparison person is like the roommate. Yeah, closest yeah. to. Yeah, closest to. And so I just think that's a tough one if you're just a, a guy, you know, if <laughs> you're just terrible, yeah. if you're Brock Purdy's buddy, for example, right? Like if this, his roommate is just his friend, he's not some dude, like they didn't meet on some website to be like, let's be roommates together. Like no, I'm an investment banker and I, yeah, he's a, oh, it's a, another football player. Yeah. It's a, it's an offensive oh, lineman. Dude. I thought oh, it was just a guy, I it was dude. Just a guy. Yeah. I, that's what I said. He rooms with an offensive lineman. Oh, dude. Cause I was thinking like, yeah. do they split the rent? No, no yeah, yeah. I thought mean? it was like a Silicon Valley. Yeah, 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 yeah. Joe yeah. Boo. Yes, yeah. I said it. I, I said he rooms with an offensive No, this is such a cool story because I'm like, I don't care anymore about the professional athlete that drives a normal car. Like yeah, that story yeah, has yeah, been so overdone. Story, that's like the lamest thing ever. Yeah. Is hey, he's just like us. It's like no, he he's not. Sequoia, he's huh? like, yeah, it's like who cares? I don't give a crap about any of that stuff. He drives his car that he had from college. I'm like, he won't forever, but that's fine. <laughs> uh, but. The roommate of having just some guy, the odd couple idea of mm. Brock Purdy living with another person. Just a dude. Yeah, would it be? I, and it just got me thinking, like, what's the worst thing you could have in a roommate? But to me, that actually, the reason why I thought this was so cool is people would go like, oh, they're messy. I'm like, no, boys are messy. Like, you know, I'm kind of, I can adjust to that. I don't like it personally. Like, I, I, I'm a pretty clean guy. Mm -hmm. But to me, that would actually be the worst is having a dynamic with your roommate where he's just so much cooler, richer, and handsomer than you. I agree. Like, your life is not... Because, so for me, I, uh, like, I worked in sports. Like, all of us work in sports. It's a slower build to be able to, like, get some money and to get, like, a role here. And so you start doing this job, and I'm, like, you know, a late-night producer, and I'm in my mid-20s, and I have buddies who are, like, engineers and doctors now who mm. are, like, starting to actually have an Audi, who are starting to have a house... And I'm living with roommates and going, yeah, I'm also doing a thing. I still will never forget one of my buddies, Bernie. He came over to my place, engineer, great dude. Mm. He comes over and he's like, man, I like your place. It's like, reminds me of like college. Like you're still doing college. And I was like, Oof. and I just sat there and I was like, damn it, yeah. man. This hurts my feelings. Yeah, you thought yeah, like, he's like, yeah, you're still just a little child, <laughs> yeah. and I'm going on and maturing and driving. Dude, I like the college it's cool look. How poor you are, <laughs> yeah, dude. yeah, it's so sick. Oh, you're keeping it real. <laughs> like, oh, you're, you're really humble, very man. working class yeah, here, dude. I like that a lot. But I think that would be the worst thing. Is like if Brock Purdy's your roommate, it's you're you're not making more money. Hell no. You're not better looking. No. Nope. And you're not like. You don't have a cooler job. Yeah, exactly. You're, you're the quarterback of the 49 So it's just, yeah, you're just around. You're just, yeah. you're literally, what's your thing? Oh, that's Brock Purdy's roommate. Yeah. You know, like, you don't want to be that. That would suck for me. I have a, too much of an ego. I think all people have too much of an ego just to be that. Like, I'm just thinking, though, now, like, he's bringing you to sick parties. You're, like, you're, you're rubbing shoulders with, like, other guys on the team, you know, like... It no, might not be as bad of a, of a situation as I'm thinking. There are, there are benefits for yeah, sure. Yeah, but you're just, you're the Robin forever. Yeah, true. Yeah. Like, you can't... And, and some people are built for that, I guess. Yeah. Not me. <laughs> I'm Batman. Uh, no, it's not. I don't need to be Batman always, right? Like, I I know I have certain, like, I have friends where it's like, I know I'm the Robin. I have friends where I know I'm Batman, whatever. You have just different dynamics within your groups. Yeah. Like, 
you know, how you have it in terms of your pecking order. Mm -hmm. But to live with someone who day over day over day is just reminding you that you're the lesser, yeah. I think would kind of suck. More often than not, you will always be reminded that you are Brock Birdie's roommate. That's what you're known as, like, essentially, in every circle yeah, that, that you go but to. But that's the thing is, like, you, you have your friends, and this guy's obviously really smart. Like, he's the quarterback, and he's figured this out. So it's just, like, usually you have your things where your friends really like, yeah, they're better than this, and, uh, but I'm this. You know, I'm balancing it out. Mm -hmm. Like, the imbalance of you and this person that you're living with is so yeah. stark. In, like, every aspect. Yeah, like, the only person <laughs> on planet Earth that thinks you're better is your mom. And even and she's even like, that, yeah, yeah. It's a toss she's up like, he's yeah. the quarterback like, of the 49ers. Yeah, like, That's her lead off. You know, my home. son lives with yeah. Brock. <laughs> yeah, exactly. Yeah. That's how she I was going to say, you go home for Thanksgiving and people are like, how's Brock? The whole family's just asking you like, so what's he really like? <laughs> yeah, yeah. And you're like, oh, like, have you met just, Debo or CMC yeah, it just, yet? It would just get to be a lot. It would just get to be a lot. And you would start to resent that person. And then they do one thing. Like they leave the shavings in the sink just one day and you like pop off on him. Like sets you off. You think you're better than me? You start putting your name on the food. You know what I'm saying? Yeah. Think you could just that's leave. my milk, Brock. Yeah, that's fine. <laughs> Get your own have my milk. plastic <laughs> bottle of milk. But yeah, what else? What else is the worst thing that you can have in a roommate? I, I, dude who puts names on stuff. That, that was yeah, a, no, that's a psycho. Move, yeah, bro. that's a pretty bad one. I see. I've I've only had one roommate, and that was in college, and we didn't really share much stuff, so I never really crossed paths with them. Our schedules are way different, mm. but that was the that was the furthest we got. We never really saw each other. Actually, I had a million. Sorry to break up this roommate talk, though, guys. We got a break and trade in the NFL. Whoa! Diana Rossini, Chase Claypool has been traded to the Miami Dolphins. For a six-round pick in 2025. Yeah, they couldn't afford to keep him. Steep price, eh? And that's yeah. after giving up a second-round pick for him last yeah. year. Yeah. Oh, that's actually going to work out but, great for him. But that's that's one of the worst things about the NFL is that it's like... Asset man. It's, it's like all the players are essentially like a car. The second you yeah. take it off the yeah. lot, it's like... And the value is not anything what you thought it was. Like, I... Yeah. I wait. Who Chase? Who Chase Claypool? Chase Claypool. Bears receiver. Yeah. Okay. Steelers, they've kind of Columbia yeah. native. They've kind of cleaned up, like like they got Chubb too. Like they've they've done a good job of kind of collecting some like high ceiling guys, who are on tough times, uh -huh. uh, on the cheap. I, I think Chase, Chase Claypool was their fourth receiver. I don't like it. I'll tell uh, you great. this. I I I don't like to pull this. So for a little moment in time. We had Dylan Brooks as the most embarrassing Canadian athlete because he was calling out LeBron and then it was just like he wouldn't back it up. I didn't care that he called out LeBron. It was that he like ducked the smoke after and just like tried to scuttle away. Mm -hmm. But now he's Canadian got national cooked. hero and now we yeah. all love Dylan Brooks. And he <laughs> has he has he got blanket immunity from this country oh, after. Yeah? yeah, blanket okay. oh yeah, blanket immunity for Dylan Brooks forever. <laughs> like, forward, right? He yeah. got he got us. He was amazing in that tournament. He was the MVP. He got us to an Olympics. Like blanket immunity, blanket immunity, blanket immunity for Dylan Brooks. Right now, the number one most embarrassing Canadian athlete by a healthy lead is Chase yeah. Claypool. Yeah. Like, I'm a top three receiver. Dude. 1,300 oh. yards, 10 tuds. There's nothing. Maybe like, his career. When he was at Notre Dame, I was so stoked going, I can't believe we have a guy, like a real guy that's coming up. Not like an offensive lineman, you know? Not like a, f I don't want to say fake Canadian, like Nate Burleson. <laughs> like he's Canadian, <laughs> but like a guy who was born here and then was gone a second later, right? Like, come on. That's it. We try to claim there used to be that like NFL Canada page, you know? They'd be like, here's what the Canadians are doing. Mm -hmm. It'd be like Nate Burleson, and they would go, Yeah, I don't know if we're just like wrapping Nate Burleson in the flag. <laughs> Chase Claypool was going to be a hey, this guy might actually move the needle. You okay. know when you're watching a game with like your girlfriend or an aunt or something and you go, that guy's Canadian, and all of a sudden they care a little bit more. Mm -hmm. That's what I thought we were gonna have with Chase Claypool. And now that is over. And so 
I'm just not invested in his career. I think he's unbelievably cringe in terms of the way that he carries himself, the highlight reel of him quitting on every single play. Oh my By the goodness. way, I don't think that Chase Claypool getting traded is worth interrupting the show. <laughs> I got to tell you, in hindsight, like, I, f- to be honest, my brain went into Chase Young. Like, I went, Which holy God, like, yeah. that's crazy. A six for Chase Young. And then uh, I was like, Austin's interrupting the show for uh, Chase Claypool takes. All right, the sixth-round pick just, to the Dolphins. Anyway, I just <laughs> – he's – that's the only take here is, like – He's got to be the Canadian athlete where if you're an actual sports fan, mm-hmm. you have the least invested in in a sport that is not hockey where it's not noteworthy to be a Canadian. No one right. would like, look at Sidney Crosby. He's Canadian, you know. You're like, wow. <laughs> so <laughs> about, 45% yeah. of the Easton league. Easton <laughs> Cowan on the Leafs, you're like, a Canadian. They drafted it's a Canadian guy that they got. <laughs> going, all right. Is that another Canadian? Yeah, that's pretty sweet. That's pretty well, smart. Look at that. A lot of Canadians yeah, this year. Days. I would say that uh, Nathan Rourke Chase Blake Chase Claypool could do something at the World Cup of Football. <laughs> World Cup World of Football. Cup yeah, of football. no, I can't wait to see all the other teams. I can't, I can't wait to watch the US America. Eight, eight America, America nine yeah. would kill us. Dude, yeah. dude American tears. America yeah. versus Pakistan tonight <laughs> in the World Cup of Football. <laughs> it's going to be a real fun time. Yeah, let's, what's the score? What's the spread on that? Yeah, no, that's, come on. What are we doing here? <laughs> what are we doing? Anyway, all right, we got a couple minutes. Let's quickly do this. Uh, so if there's... There was an article from the Washington Post from Ben Strauss. Mm-hmm. Woj versus Shams essentially broke down their whole rivalry, yeah, how great. Woj hired really Shams. Yeah. It was the whole breakdown. It was really, really interesting. And I want to ask, since these two guys, obviously the most influential among NBA media, have you uh, had a rivalry in your I had a basketball rival. I had a, I had a basketball okay. teammate rival. Like, because with hockey, I... I honestly like, yeah, have you ever seen Blue Mountain State mm-hmm. where he wanted to be the backup? That was always how I wanted to kind of be was there was no stress. It was like go on the roads, play one game in the tournament, you know, just be with yeah. the fellas. Yeah. Basically, be the, the stay, stay healthy, don't get injured. <laughs> like, stay yeah, healthy, like, you know. Yeah, like the one who was planning the walk when curfew was over. That was me. Hell yeah, dude. Yeah, that's what I'm saying. Like, I was planning the walks. It's hey, a vital yeah. role, dude. That's what I'm saying. I, I sussed it out. There's a, there's a shed yeah. we can go behind. Yeah, that's, that's, I mean, that's all I wanted. <laughs> that's all I wanted. I didn't, I didn't need to be the best. I knew I wasn't going to be the best. Mm-hmm. Basketball is like really competitive. I was like, I'm going to be great at this. Mm. Um, and I definitely had a rival. And, a rivalry will consume you, brother. Like a rivalry will eat you up. Like you, yeah. if you're thinking about what that other person's doing, you know, you're comparing yourself. They say like a comparison is the thief of joy. That is mm-hmm. a true thing. Like you see someone else's success and it burns you up. My grade nine to 10, no grade nine to 11. Mm-hmm. I had a real basketball rival named Jordan. And I just, Jordan. and I just, everything that he would do that was positive. Mm-hmm. Just burn me I'm assuming up. You use the same position as you. Yeah, same position. Same position. But like, we were both so like we were both the best players, like basically in our territory. Mm-hmm. And he went up and played. He was better than me. Like, just he was. Oh. And it, and I hated it because I started younger. Like I was like a much better younger. And then he just put the hours in. I started to get lazier. Yeah. He got better. But I used to beat on him all the time. And then he just started to surpass me and became a way better shooter. And it it crushed me inside. Like I could never, I could never get over it. And I was like, no, deep down, I'm better. It was like, no, man, it's it's over for you. He's a stud, and you're just not He's it like anymore. Skywalker. It was hard. Can't shoot. Yeah, it was a hard. Oh, Arden. Armin, I like again. Arden. Uh, well, you know, he's Armin Zargarian and it's Arden's Welling. And yeah. when I see it on my phone sometimes, AZ pops up yeah. in the group chat. I'm like, oh, is this a chat with Arden? It's like, nope, it's Armin. <laughs> you can just tell by the take right away. Yeah, though. I know. Yeah, exactly. Because yeah. he's like, here's a horrible idea. Yeah. All right, we got to go. Subscribe to the podcast, leave five stars. Have a happy Thanksgiving. We'll see you Tuesday. With the sports. 